Please take your copy of God's Word. Let's turn together to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, as I was laying out the Gospel of John through the fall and into the first part of next year, I saw I had an opportunity uh, on Reformation Sunday, on Reformation Day, to line it up to preach on John 3.16. And I said, hmm, here's an opportunity I cannot miss. Uh, And that's because here in just one place, we have the very reason for the Reformation, uh, the gospel of God itself. And so we need to pay attention, but even more, having already had our hearts moved, we need our hearts moved and led by the hand and taken to Jesus. And so in order for that to happen for us, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. Let's ask him for his help. Would you pray with me, please? Almighty God, we do come to you, and we pray that you would grant us your spirit once again. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would open our eyes so that we might see uh, here in in miniature, in in nutshell, in, in summary form, the very gospel of God, the good news centering on Jesus Christ. Lord, grant us this, we pray, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You undoubtedly know this verse by heart, but I'll hold my Bible and read it anyway. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So each year, around this time of year, as Reformed Protestants, we we remember the Reformation. Uh, The great heroes of the faith, like Martin Bucer and Ulrich Zwingli, John Calvin and Martin Bucer and and others in that first generation of Reformers. But but why do we do that? Why why do we remember them? And especially, why do we remember the Reformation? What, What was the Reformation all about? Well, we remember and honor them because they led in the recovery of the gospel. And in the recovery of the gospel, that very gospel then reshaped the way they, they worshipped and reshaped the way they lived life together in the context of the church. And if you wanted to find a single verse in your Bible a single summary of the gospel that they sought to recover, I would suggest to you, you would find it right here in John 3.16. Martin Luther was purported to have called this verse the gospel in miniature. And while I couldn't track that quote down in Luther's works, I I did find him telling his people in a sermon on John 3.16 this. Luther said, it is fitting for us to write this text on every wall and also on our hearts with large, yea, with golden letters. For these are words of life and salvation. They teach us how to escape death and defend ourselves against all enemies. John Calvin observed that here in this verse, Christ opens up the first cause and, as it were, the source of our salvation— And he does so that no doubt may remain. For our minds cannot find calm repose until we arrive at the unmerited love of God. This verse teaches us that 
The whole matter of our salvation must not be sought anywhere, anywhere else in Christ than in Christ. Friends, I would suggest to you this morning that we need to come back to this gospel. We need to, to come back to its recovery. And we need to seek to reform our church, our worship, our lives in the light of this good news. Because the only way that we will become new people is found right here in this verse. And the only way we will worship God rightly, praise him willingly and joyfully, and please him is found right here in this verse. The only hope that we offer to our city, that we offer to our own families, is right here in this verse. And the only hope that we have in life and in death, it's found right here in this verse. The only remedy that we we have when the devil attacks us or when the world beguiles us or when our own hearts seek to betray us is right here in this verse. Because here in John 3.16, we have the good news in miniature. We have the good news in a nutshell. We have the good news in summary form. The whole matter of our salvation is found right here. And so see here in this verse the way the gospel tells us of the human predicament. The verse does so implicitly. If your Bibles are still open or you can recall it from memory, it's right there in those three words, should not perish. Well, what does that mean? Except that apart from Jesus Christ, that we should in fact perish. And friends, that is our predicament, that we will in fact perish, condemned by God's law, bearing the consequences of our sin and our sinning, deserving the just wrath of God. Because the Bible repeatedly describes the just wrath of God coming to us in this life, but also in the life to come. That we deserve, in fact, to perish. Our own reformational document, the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is my own personal subscription, I have subscribed to that as my own personal confession. Brad has done so. Every elder, every pastor in this church has said that that reformational document describes our faith That document says the souls of the wicked are cast into hell where they remain in torments and utter darkness reserved to the judgment of that great day. That's our predicament. Because, of course, we are all wicked. You and I, because of our sin and sinning, we deserve to go to hell. To know the eternal wrath of God in a place of utter darkness and utter pain. Deservedly because of our sin. What our document describes, what our confession of faith describes is simply the teaching of Holy Scripture. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18, the Apostle Paul writes, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their own unrighteousness suppress the truth. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7, Paul writes, The Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. 
They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Friends, this is the human predicament. It's because of our sin and sinning that we deserve the judicial wrath of God. We deserve the punishment of eternal destruction. Friends, we deserve to perish. This is the greatest fact in the world today. The greatest fact in the world today is that men and women, apart from Jesus Christ, are dying and going to hell. It's something that was drilled into my head and heart as a student at Bob Jones University. There's many things to criticize about that place, but I will be eternally grateful that that fact, above all facts, has been drilled into my heart and mind for an entire year during chapel services, which were Monday to Thursday, Dr. Bob Jones III would enter the pulpit, and before he read his text, he would say, the greatest fact in the world today is that men and women, apart from Jesus Christ, are dying and going to hell. And friends, that is the fact. That is the human predicament. This is a more true fact than any other fact we can lay out. It's a more true fact than whatever Congress is doing. It's a more true fact than whatever the stock market is doing, whatever China is doing. No, the greatest fact, the most true reality in the world today is that men and women apart from Jesus Christ are bearing the just wrath of God for all eternity. That is the human predicament. But notice this verse, this good news. It speaks of this predicament implicitly, doesn't it? And it does so with the opposite should not perish. So how can that be? How can it be that a just and holy God, who is in fact the true judge of all the universe, how can it be that he might set aside his judgment against you and me? How is it possible that that somehow this, this condemnation that we deserve, this eternal destruction that is ours, the perishing that has our name on it, how might it be set aside? How could he go for forego judgment on my sin and sinning? How is it that you and I should not perish? Well, through God's provision. The verse says God gave his only son. Now Certainly in giving his one and only son, God the Father sent his son. And we've already seen that, haven't we? As we've been working our way through John's gospel, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Or as Eugene Peterson has it in the message, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. And as Jesus, uh, the very word of God, moved into the neighborhood, what did he do? He declared the word of God to us. He taught and preached and healed he, he, he taught the ethics of the kingdom in the Sermon on the Mount. He preached one of the greatest sermons ever in Luke chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Plain. He healed lepers, healed women with, with debilitating diseases. He raised sons and daughters and friends to life again. And so God certainly provided by sending his son into the world. But notice that, that the word here that John uses that he records Jesus is saying, is not sent, is it? No, God gave his only son. Well, what does that mean? That God 
gave his only son. Well, the Apostle Paul will tell us in Romans chapter 8, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Do you hear? God, God did not spare his son. He did not withhold him. He did not hold him back. But instead, he gave him up for us all. He delivered him up for us all. Where did God do this? Where did God the Father deliver over Jesus? Where did God the Father give up Jesus for us all? And why did God do that? Why did God give him up? What the cross, that's the where. For your salvation, that's the purpose. Because as John's gospel will show us, Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, the Son of Man, he will be betrayed by the Jews, handed over to Roman authority. They will be the ones who shout, crucify him, crucify him. But the Jews were not the ones ultimately who gave Jesus up. And he would be handed over to the Romans. And Pilate would wash his hands of the entire matter. But Pilate's authority would be used to nail Jesus to a cross and so that he would be lifted up from the earth, as he just said at the, at the previous section that we studied, lifted up on Golgotha's hill between heaven and earth. But the Romans were not the ones who ultimately gave God up. Who gave, who gave God the Son up? Who gave Jesus up? God did. The Father gave him up. So that he might be raised upon a cross to receive the just wrath of God. Your wrath. The wrath you deserve. The eternal destruction that was yours. That had your name on it. It was poured out upon Jesus. And God the Father gave his son. His one and only son. His beloved son. To bear the wrath of God for you. Yes, the human predicament is real. It's the most real fact in the world today. But God has made provision. And he's made provision by giving Jesus his one and only son. So that you might not perish. So that you might not go to hell for all eternity. And your predicament and God's provision, they come together by way of God's promise. You see the promise? Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life and so instead of perishing eternally instead of of dying and experiencing eternal destruction in hell where the worm does not die where real torment and darkness lasts forever instead God promises eternal life he promises life from the age to come to be experienced in the present Life that's actually real life, true life, abundant life, more real than anything this world could possibly offer. This is the life that God promises. And he promises that you might have it. That's what it says. Should not perish, but have eternal life. Not will have at some future point. No, you might have it now. And how might you know that you have it now? Because the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you. Christ in you, Paul will write, the hope of glory. So the Holy Spirit dwelling in you is the very life of God from the age to come, invading the present, the the guarantee that in fact on the last day when the trump shall sound and Jesus comes again, you shall rise from the dead. Because the Holy Spirit dwelling in you 
You might have it. How? How might you have eternal life? What's the promise? Well, it's possible for us. It comes to be for us because the verse tells us whoever believes in him should have eternal life. So so believing in Jesus, resting upon, relying upon Jesus, trusting in Jesus, that's what unlocks God's promise that you might have eternal life by trusting your whole eternity, your now and forever upon him. That's the way in which the promise is unlocked. It's not your doing that unlocks God's promise. It's not your working, not your child rearing, not your house maintenance, not your civic involvement, not your good schools, not your fraternity or sorority, not your health or lack thereof. It's not something that you do that unlocks the promise of God. No, it's believing in Jesus. But notice, it's neither the quality of your believing. It's not the quality of your trusting or your resting or your relying whether you have strong faith or weak faith or middling faith or, or faith on Tuesdays and Thursdays and some doubts on Mondays and Fridays, that, that's not the issue here. It's not your doing, but your believing. And it's not the quality of your believing, but the one you're believing in. The strength of the person in whom you are putting your trust. Because, of course, you're believing in Jesus. Jesus the Messiah. Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, the crucified and resurrected one. That's what brings eternal life. And so, friends, when the devil comes and he plays upon your doubts and fears and you begin to wonder if you were on a fool's errand, no, this is the little word that we sang about, the little word that will fell him. This is it, this gospel word. And so when the devil comes to play on your fears, you tell him this. You say, listen, devil, you're playing on my fears that there's no heaven and there's no life to beyond the grave. And and you're playing on my fears that my sins are too great to be forgiven. You're playing on my fears that God will not rescue me. That, in fact, I've been on the fool's errand all along. but, But God's word says that whoever believes in Jesus shall have eternal life. Now, listen, devil, I believe in Jesus, so God's word says I have eternal life. No matter what you say and what dark doubts you put in my mind, take this John 3.16 pill and be done with it. Get away from me. Because the devil's real, and he plays on our fears. But this is the little word that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But notice... The promise is open-ended. It's open to all. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, whoever means whoever. Whoever includes rich or poor. It includes men and women. It includes black and brown and white. It includes insiders and outsiders, jocks and nerds, married, single, white-collar, blue-collar, those who love rock and those who love Bach, Democrats and Republicans, whoever means whoever. Whoever means you can put your name in there. If Sean believes in him, he should have eternal life. You put your name in there. Whoever means whoever. And that means two further things. First, if you're here today and you are fearful of perishing eternally, if you are convinced that your sin and sinning deserves the just wrath of God, hear the good news. If your name falls under whoever, 
this promise is for you. If you are included in that great group of whoever, this promise has got your name on it. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. You will have eternal life. And so write that in golden letters upon your hearts because it's a golden promise from God himself that comes straight from the mouth of Jesus that if you believe in him, you will have eternal life. But there's a second thing that whoever means whoever means. It means that we as a church must be for for whoever. Because Jesus tells us that whoever believes in Jesus has eternal life. This is our public gospel. This is our social good news, that whoever believes in Jesus belongs here. Because whoever believes in Jesus and desires to walk with him are are those with whom we're going to spend eternity. And if we're going to spend eternity with all sorts of folks who believe in Jesus, who have eternal life, we might as well get used to it now. So here's the glorious promise that whoever believes in Jesus, the crucified and resurrected one, should have eternal life and should not perish. But there's one last part of the good news. And it's the motivation behind it all. It's God's own passion for you and for me. It's how the verse starts. For God so loved the world. Now, as Reformed and Presbyterian types who believe in God's free and sovereign choice of those whom he saves, we get a little anxious, a little nervous about the words, the world. But whatever we do with those words, we should not narrow them in such a way that we miss the point. Namely, God loves all of you. He loves all of you. And anyone who comes through that door. And he loves me too. Jesus' death on the cross, it didn't secure God's love for you. Jesus didn't die in order to make God loved you, love you. No, God already loved you. That's why he gave his son. From eternity past, God sent, set his love upon you. From eternity past, he had you in mind when he destined you to this place. God not only foreordained you, foreknew you, but he foreloved you. God so loved the world, and that is why he gave. And in order then to, to give his son so that you might know salvation, in order to deliver you from you and the wrath that you deserve, he gave his one and only son. He did not spare him, but he delivered him up for us all. And in order to accomplish your salvation, he poured out all of his wrath and all of his curse for all of your guilt and all of your shame upon his one and only son, Jesus Christ. And in order to secure your salvation, he raised Jesus from the dead so that he might see you in Jesus and declare you to be right with him. Not because you are so great, but because of what Jesus had done is in fact so great. He put death to death and triumphed over it in the grave and demonstrated it in a public way for all the world to see by rising from the dead so that you might be right with God. And in order for you to know his great love for you, he he promises that if you will leave off all of your doing and all of your performing and all of your attempts to, to somehow do something, to do anything for your salvation, if you would just trust in him and rely upon him and rest upon Jesus alone and holy, he promises to give you life. 
real life, abundant life from the age to come in the present. And he promises to take your soul to be in his presence when you die. When that unnatural ripping apart of soul and body happens, your body will go to rest in the grave, united to Jesus as, as comfortable as though you were resting in your king-sized bed. And your soul will instantly go into the presence of God to know his joy, his joy and his love for you. And he promises to raise you on the last day when the trump shall sound. When he comes to make the world new, you will have a new body in this earth made new with all of the brokenness and pain and sorrow stripped away from it. And why does God do any of this? Why does God do all of this? It's because he loves you. He loves you. You are part of the world that God loves. As John will put it later, and this is love, not that you love God, but that God loved you. And he sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for your sins. Friends, this is the gospel. This is the gospel. This is the good news that we preach. This is the good news that's been preached from this pulpit since 1965. God helping us until Jesus returns. This is the gospel that will be preached to the end of time. This is what the Reformation was all about. This is what fuels our praise and our worship and our life together. Our life in this world and the world to come. It's not a social gospel. It's not a private gospel. This is the gospel. This is what we need to nail on every door that we come across. And this is what we need to nail on our hearts. This good news. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish. But have eternal life. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me please? Father, thank you. Thank you for your great love for us. Sinners though we be, thank you that you gave your one and only son for us. Thank you that you continue through the ministry of the word to call us to yourself and to assure us it's all true. Lord, as we now sing this great contemporary hymn, may we sing it from our whole hearts. And may we sing it with great joy and great love for you, basking in your love for us. That is through Christ alone our hope is found. Grant us this, Lord, we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please take your worship booklets.